Good morning. Oh, people. It's good to see people and not screens. Down with the screens. Down with the video cameras. Anyone else zoomed out? Oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> so good to be with you today. My name's Adrian, and uh, I've missed you. I've missed you a lot. You're not in your assigned seats. <laughs> Welcome to everyone in the chapel and in the venue today as well. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for everyone that's joining us online at Carney E. Free as well. Uh, great to be together with you this morning as we come to worship God. Beautiful worship music we had though this morning, and uh, it's so good to be in the same room as you. We might need to break out our name tags. Like, uh, we haven't been a name tag church in a while, but it's been after three months, really, three months, you realize that? Three months since we've been together in this room, and uh, so great to see a good crowd here today. We had Thursday night services as well. We'll have Sunday morning at 11 o'clock services that we still have a little bit of room for, and then uh, 7 p.m. tonight as well. We'll modify that as we go over these coming weeks, but uh, great to get started again. You know, I've thought a lot about this morning and what it means to get started. The church, is, the church is a cause, first. It's the cause of Jesus Christ and spreading the gospel message wherever we would go, uh, healing individual lives by the power of the gospel, healing families well, wherever we go. That's, that, that's the church. It's a cause. But the church is also a community. And so we've had the cause these past months even by video screen and through the different ministries we've sought to do, Zoom meetings, meeting by life group, all of that, we've had that cause, but we really haven't had is the community, am I right? We just haven't had the community together, and so we feel like something is missing, and that's because something really is missing that's absolutely integral to what the church is. And so it's so good to be back together with you today. I want to let you know what our goal as a church staff has been as an elder board to get to this point and what it is for, for these next weeks. Our goal has been to organize, to do tightly organized church services that would be safe and would be, be beautiful and they'd be organized in such a way that you say, wow, my church has my back. Things are covered for me to be able to come into the worship service and know that they care about my safety. Know that they don't judge me, that they welcome me just where I am, and that we would all together as a church family, whether we're online today or in person today, we would move slowly but surely in these next couple weeks from a little bit of anxiety to trust to freedom in worship just freedom in worship, that I get to be together in my church with my church family and be free to worship. And that'll take a little bit of time, but, but that's what we're gonna move toward in all of our different worship services over these next weeks. And to that end, let me just reinforce some of the things that you've already heard over these past weeks if you've been following us online. We are trying to practice the social distancing measures. It's difficult to do. We probably won't do it 100%. And when I see someone who's hurting, I'm gonna touch that person. But in general, we're practicing social distancing measures and we're seeking to uh, do all of our hand washing and everything else. And we're disinfecting every row that people sit in in between every worship service. And we're disinfecting the doors 
and the bathrooms between every worship service, and we have greeters, of course, who have masks and gloves, and some, uh, those who are in attendance today will wear glass, uh, will wear, uh, let's see, how do I say that? One, two words, not one. Gloves and masks, <laughs> and others will not, but that's just fine. There's no judgmentalism on any of that. We're also organizing so that there's nothing that's handed out in the rows, and so for you to get, get a church handout, you have to pick one of those up on those clotheslines out there before you come in. And there's no offering that's going through the rows. And so we have offering boxes in the back of each of our rooms and also in the lobby space. If you've brought an offering today, you can bring it there. Or you can give at carneyefree.com, which is even easier. But we're doing all of this, again, to help move you wherever you are today from any anxiety trust to freedom in worship that's our goal for you here's a couple things though that you can help provide as you uh, come to church today and in these coming weeks come with a smile come with a smile a smile makes a difference even if you're wearing a mask people can see your smile by your eyes second keep inviting people uh, we we have factored in room in our online registrations for walk-ups Okay, and so you invite people. There are a lot of folks that are really missing community right now. This is prime time to be inviting people in our community. And number three, if you're looking to help us in this time, we don't have children's ministries, unfortunately. Hopefully that gets going by govern, government allowance in the coming weeks. Um, but those maybe who are involved in some other ministry, one of the ways you can help us right now is greeting ministry. I mean, we got to have a great multi-layered approach to greeting right now as newcomers come in and as regulars come back because the last thing we can have at church is this feeling that it's not warm, right? And it is different, and it will be different for, for a little while, and that's going to be true across all of life, but you can help in these three ways. Smile, invite, greet. And if you want to be part of our greeting ministry over these coming weeks, um, even if it's just a couple times a month, email todd at carneyefree.com. That's todd at carneyefree.com. Let me just name the elephant in the room, okay? As we get started, let me name the elephant in the room. Here's how some of us are feeling right now. Some of us are feeling like touching the ceiling. I want to jump for joy that I could be back in church right now. Just go ahead and touch the ceiling, all right? That, that, that's welcome here. That's totally welcome here. There's other of us that are feeling kind of tentative, and you took a step out in faith to be here. And thank you for taking that step out of faith to, to be here. But, you know, you're still feeling a little bit tentative. And we honor that emotion here. You're welcome with that. There's others who came here because your wife or your husband dragged you to church, and you said, yes, dear. Good job. We honor that, okay? We honor that emotion, and you're welcome here. Well, with that. And there are others still, though, that are watching online, they're just not quite ready, and that's fine. We honor that emotion, and you're welcome, well, when you are ready as well. We're gonna move toward a new normal together, slowly but surely. Um, and especially right now, church is not so much about what you get from me. It's what you give. Especially right now, as we move toward a new normal, it's about what you give, not so much about what you get coming here. So let's, uh, let's pray. Let's give thanks to God that we get together again. <laughs> let's give thanks to our great God. And um, we're going to do a couple things. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to teach from the scriptures, and then we're going to pray for our nation here as I close as well. 
uh, today's message. Would you join me right now? Father, thank you for this morning. We worship you. We worship you. We worship you. You are a holy and loving and powerful and righteous and good God. And you know the beginning from the end. You know all that we are going through today. You know all that we are feeling right now. And we praise you for who you are and we worship you together. You are the only wise God and we want to honor you in this place. Thank you, God, for this community in the venue and in the chapel and here in the auditorium. We pray, God, that this would be a sweet time of worship as we dive into your word and learn a little bit more about this wonderful letter of 1 Peter and begin to apply it to our lives. Lead us now, God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our Redeemer in this church. May your praise be known through Christ we ask. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, if you're willing right now, would you please open with me to the letter of 1 Peter. And 1 Peter, if you have your Bible, is toward the back of your Bible. If you don't own a Bible and you like one from us, you're welcome to pick one up at the information table back there. If you use the YouVersion app, that's fine. If you have neither today, we'll have these verses up on the screen as well. But I would encourage you, though, this summer to, to bring your Bible as this is a Mark It Up series. We'll be marking up our Bibles as we go. And today we're in 1 Peter, which you go to the book of Revelation and then just turn back about 20 pages far from there, and we'll see these letters of First and Second Peter. We'll be in 1 Peter over the course of of this summer together. And it's a, a beautiful letter from the Apostle Peter to his first century church and to us as well. Part of what I'd like to do though this summer, along with other pastors who'll be teaching as well, is give you a simple acronym to help you with your own Bible study at home. And it might be an acronym that you've used before. It's called SOAP. And SOAP just stands for this, Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. S-O-A-P. And it's a simple Bible study tool that I use on a regular basis, that our elders use on a regular basis, to dive a little bit deeper into the scriptures so that we can understand them and apply them to our own lives. As you study 1 Peter paragraph by paragraph, I'd like you to look at these themes that you're going to see again and again. You'll see these on the outline, but, but here's a number of themes that you're going to see, and you'll begin to see them in the Scripture, the 12 verses that we will look at today, just 12 verses, that's our Scripture, and these are the themes that you'll begin to see in those 12 verses, and again and again throughout the book of 1 Peter, you're going to see these three themes. Be on the lookout for them. The first one is this. Behavior flows from identity. Okay? You don't start with behavior, you start with identity. And identity leads to your behavior. And Peter's going to touch on that again and again, that who you are will determine what you do. It's not do first and who you are later. It's who you are in Christ determines your behavior. Second, another one is you are God's people, but even though you're God's people, you should expect to suffer. And Peter would say, down with the contemporary notion that suffering is equated with something wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you, but because you're suffering today, okay? The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. The sun comes down on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. And even though you are God's people, we should expect that suffering will be part and parcel of our lives this side of heaven. And finally, our response to all of this 
to being exiles, to suffering, to whatever we experience in this life is very simple. It's holiness and love. Deep love for one another, great worship and love for God, and holiness on a personal level that I respond with what God gives me responsibility for, accountability for, is am I loving to those around me, no matter who they are, no matter what they believe, and do I pursue holiness before God? Okay, with that as an introduction to themes that you will see in this letter, take a look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. We'll just read the first couple verses right now and give a couple comments. This is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now as we begin to unpack this scripture, it's always helpful at the beginning of any study of any book or letter in the Bible is to understand just a little bit of the context of that letter. Now the context of this letter is, you think about the author, it's Peter. Peter's an apostle of Jesus Christ, one of the inner three, one of the closest friends of Jesus, and he is writing to the church that is scattered in what would be today the nation of Turkey and a little area of Northwest Asia. So Northwest Asia, these cities of Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, in that region of Northwest Turkey, that God would have uh, given this letter through the apostle Peter, and the custom of the day would be this. A letter would be written not just to one church, but to be read by one church, and then passed on to the next church, and the next. And they would treasure it as the words of God from an apostle of Jesus Christ. And they would meditate on it in the oral culture of the day. They would oftentimes memorize it and then send it on to the next. It was that important. It was this treasure written on papyrus when paper and ink were so hard to to find. And so Peter takes it upon himself to to write this letter to these Christians in this, um, this area of the Roman Empire. And he says this about them. You are elect and you are exiles. And this is identity language. He's reminding them that they were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, that when they trusted themselves to Christ, they were included into the people of God, counted as children of God. And now you, if you are a follower of Christ, you are part of those chosen people belonging to God. And even so, as your chosen people, you're also exiles. That's what you are. You're exiles. I'm an exile. This world is not our home. We're just passing through, as the old spiritual said, right? We're exiles in this place, longing for a much better and greater place. Now, this is true about the social condition that they are in as well, because they're living under Roman Emperor Nero's persecution between about 62 and 65 AD when the Emperor Nero unleashed the most violent persecution on the Christian church in world history. And they're living underneath that. And Peter would be killed by Nero in just a couple years after writing this letter. 
And so Peter's writing to his church, reminding them, you're going to face great suffering, but because you're an exile in this world. And you're a second-class citizen while within the Roman Empire, but remember this. You're chosen by God. You're loved and you're chosen by God. It's timely for them for obvious reasons, but really it's quite timely for us as well. Because the truth is, if you are serious about following Christ, in this culture now, you will face opposition. Isn't that right? Like it's really easy in our culture to be a mediocre Christian. Okay, it's really, really easy to be a mediocre Christian, to be a vanilla Christian. But it's really hard in our culture, and it's going to get harder in our culture to be a serious Christian. And as you're serious about following Christ, you will at times be led to follow Christ, which means going away from the crowd. And exiles like that, exiles like us, we need encouragement and we need each other. We need both those things. We need each other and we need encouragement. So this is a very timely message for us as well. Okay, that's some context, uh, some background. Look at verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. There's some, just some great lines in this first section. Listen to this. New birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may, ha you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, you still greatly rejoice." These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels, listen to this, even angels long to look into the things that we're looking into today. You see, angels can't have living hope. They've already realized their hope. We have living hope because we long for a place that's better than this one. So even angels long to look into what we're going to talk about here today. Now, sometimes when I'm reading a longer passage of Scripture, well, let me just admit this on the front end. Sometimes when I'm reading a longer passage of Scripture, not like the 12 verses that we just read, but when I'm doing like a, a Bible plan reading of through the Bible in a year, and sometimes I sit down for three or four chapters at a time, um, every once in a while, I, I daydream. Am I allowed to say that as a pastor? <laughs> Come on, I am. Come on. We're honest here, aren't we? Does that ever happen to you? 
Okay, hopefully not much, but every once in a while that might happen to you. And part of the reason that sometimes happens to me, I must confess, I, I don't like it, but part of the reason that sometimes happens to me is this. We've been taught, I've been taught to read the Bible widely. And I've been taught from a young age in my Christian life anyway to read through the Bible in a year. And I've done that many times in the past, and I've now been reading through the Bible, not every year, but I've been reading the Bible intensely for 25 years. And so after 25 years, some of you have been reading it much longer than that, but after 25 years, there are times that I'll come to a passage that doesn't really grab my attention anymore. Or I'm like, I've been there and I've done that, I already know what that says, and my mind begins to daydream to my calendar of activities for later on in the day. Which is why... It is critical that we not just read widely, but we also learn to read deeply. Okay, you following me? We got to learn to read deeply. And so what we're going to do here, though, this summer is learn to read a little bit more deeply in the Scriptures, small passages at a time, and to mine them for all they are worth. The next thing that you do after selecting a 12-verse Scripture, a few paragraphs like I just did, is to mine it, to observe some different aspects of that passage. Here's some questions that I sometimes come to as I'm seeking to develop the habit of observing what the scriptures say, what the apostle is teaching me, what the word of God is teaching me from the Bible right now. Here's some questions that you might take note of. What's the context? I already went over that. What commands does the author give? What about prohibitions? I'd want to take note of that. If the Bible prohibits anything, I'd want to take note of that. Does this passage remind me of any other passages, any cross-references that I'd want to look at because it's helpful to allow Scripture to interpret Scripture? What are the key words that grab my attention in this passage? There are a number of those, and we'll go through a few of those in a moment. What's the big idea in this passage, and what questions do I have about this particular Scripture that I might want to write down and come back to a little bit later? If you do this for a half an hour, a couple times a week, I promise you will go much deeper in your knowledge and understanding and application of the Bible. Now here's my big idea for this morning's message, and my big idea from those first 12 verses. It goes like this. The pain of exile is small compared to the inheritance of glory. The pain of exile is small compared to our inheritance of glory. I wonder if you'd say that out loud with me, both in this room and in the venue and chapel. Let's say that out loud together. Would you join me? Ready? The pain of exile is small compared to the inheritance of glory. Well, where do you find that? I'm so glad that you asked. <laughs> it's good to see you. Thank you for asking and engaging me. <laughs> Yeah. All right, newcomers don't really know my sense of humor, but you'll learn. Okay. Okay, look at uh, verse 3. In this great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. I would underline in my Bible right now the word living hope. This is what he's given us. New birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. Underline the word inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. You see, our God has given us a living hope into an inheritance. It's a living hope that is not here today and gone tomorrow. It's not a dead hope. 
It's not a wishy-washy hope. It's not a, can I muster up a little bit more hope? It's not the kind of hope that fades over time or spoils or perishes. It's not a hope that's based on my own fortitude. It's a hope that is based on nothing less than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a hope that is based on a fact of history that Jesus climbed up that old, ugly, Roman, rugged cross. And he died for your sins and mine. And he was resurrected in time and space. And the grave remains empty. And so I have living hope. Not dead hope, living hope. And the trouble is today, so many people base their hope on present circumstances. I hope, I wish that things will get a little bit better. That's not enough. That's weak, it's wimpy, it's sorry. We need hope that's based on a fact that is strong, that is unchanging, that is world-changing. And our hope is based on the fact of the resurrection that Jesus Christ rose from the grave and the tomb remains empty. And because he rose, we have living hope that does not die. You know, our hope is an inheritance that is not based on, like, human stinginess. Contemporary inheritance, I'm told, on this earth, I haven't experienced it yet, is oftentimes spoiled by human stinginess. I'm told that contemporary inheritances are oftentimes spoiled by human pride and envy and selfishness, and it even spoils families sometimes. That's what I'm told. Maybe you've experienced that even. If so, I'm sure it's very, very painful. I am sure of this, if someone gets a nice lump sum for their inheritance, say $50,000 or something, a year later they think that that will change them, but they will remain unchanged. It spoils. It fades. But this, what the Bible is talking about, is an inheritance that never spoils, that never fades. It's found in heaven. This inheritance is kept secure in heaven for you by the power of the resurrection. And heaven, my friends, is a place that's just soaked with Jesus. It's soaked by the one who is good all the time. It's soaked by Jesus. Heaven's in a place, heaven is a place where there's no unemployment. <laughs> you, you will have responsibilities in heaven. You won't be unemployed. Heaven is a place where there's no pandemics. Heaven is a place where there's no racism. Heaven is a place where there's no riots. Heaven is a place where there's safety and peace and hope fulfilled. Hope fulfilled. No eye is seen, no ear is heard, no mind is ever conceived how great it will be. Heaven is a place where there's no more mourning or crying or pain or death anymore. Hallelujah, hallelujah. This is our living hope. I wonder, do you believe that your inheritance is safe? Do you believe it is? The Bible here, 1 Peter, says that it is. Look at verse 5. It says, This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Verse 4, then verse 5. It's kept in heaven for you who, through faith, are shielded. <laughs> Circle that in your Bible. Underline it. Highlight it in chartreuse. Faith is shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. 
Friends, if you have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ, not only a Savior who forgives your sin, but also as Lord, who would be the ruler over your life, who would be king over your life, that he would tell you what to do and you would say, yes, you tell me and I will do it. If you have that kind of faith that says, you're my Lord and my Savior, then you can be confident that your inheritance is secure in heaven. It will be shielded by God's power. The same power that rose Jesus Christ from the the dead is able to secure and to shield your faith which you have entrusted unto him until the day that you meet him, either when he returns in glory or you go to meet him in glory. It's secure. It's shielded if it is genuine. The result of all this, you you look at verse 6, is so germane to how we're living here and now today. Verse 6, it says, In all of this, because of all of this, you greatly rejoice. (laughs) You greatly rejoice because of your inheritance, because you're living hope in that, because it's shielded before God. And you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Okay, so wouldn't this be nice to be able to greatly rejoice while we suffer all kinds of trials. Would anyone else like that? We're suffering some trials in our country right now. Newsflash, right? I mean, after three months of pandemic and after uh, global unemployment and national unemployment, unlike what we've seen in a very, very long time, and um, intense racial tension that we haven't seen, Uh, quite this way, probably, perhaps, since the 1960s. Um, We're facing a lot right now. Perhaps you've gone through illness or unemployment or some of that tension, even in your own family. I've talked to families in this church that have been experiencing that tension in their own family. You say, God, where are you in all this? Friends, faith is believing in advance what could only be understood in hindsight. And you have to believe that God's going to bring something good out of what we're going through right now. You have to believe that. And we believe it in part, bud, because the Bible tells us. And we believe it in part, bud, because experience shows it to be true again and again and again. We understand only in hindsight what God might do through our faith in the midst of trials. We talked about this three weeks ago as I discussed the purposes of pain from the book of James. And I noted that God has purposes in our pain to produce in us things like perseverance and prayerfulness and purity and a deeper reliance on God and a deeper reliance on each other. And usually those things don't happen through pain. Usually those things don't happen except through pain. Uh, James even says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Is he insane? Like, honestly, is he? If you were to read that at face value and the way that you respond to your great trials, you would have to say he's insane. But we know he's not. Like, Peter's saying the exact same thing here. And Paul says the same thing over in Romans chapter 5. And Jesus says the same thing in John chapter 14. And so we consider it great joy when we face trials of many kinds because we know the testing our faith would develop things like perseverance. God has a purpose in the pain that we are going through today. And we just believe today that someday we will understand. We trust in advance what can only be totally understood in hindsight later 
on. And so we lean into God and we ask for his help and we ask that he would do great things in us and through us and for our families in the midst of pain. And we would long for our glorious inheritance even during this season. I shared this story well with everyone on a Tuesday night while we had a, a prayer gathering here, a prayer, of, a prayer time of, of repentance and of healing and asking protection over officers and a time of listening and lamentation over pain that, that we've been experiencing as a nation. And uh, I shared a story about well, one of my good friends that I grew up with and at the... Um, uh, age of 18, Bruce and I were about best friends, and uh, age 27, he was in my wedding, along with my brother and my best man. And Bruce is a wonderful man, great father, uh, great husband. And I called Bruce up, we talked for about 90 minutes last week, uh, called up a number of my African-American friends across di different times, and uh, a number of police officers as well, and just listened. J just help me understand just listened. And I was talking with Bruce, I said to him, man, would you have imagined uh, at age 18 that 25 years later we'd be this far behind where we were then? That age 43 things would have devolved to this level. And he said, Adrian, I never would have imagined this. I said, Bruce, would you just help me? How are you processing through this with your beautiful family? How are you talking about this well with your kids? And here's what he said. He said, A, my kids are scared. My kids are just really, really scared. And I've had to tell them, I am so sorry that we have failed you. Son, 21 years old now, I'm sorry we failed you. And then he said, to his kids, the older kids that are ready to understand, you need to know who you are and what you stand for eternally or else in this world you will be overcome by fear. Okay, what did he do there? He spoke into his kids' identity. He reminded them, you're in exile here. Not just because you're a young black man, but because you're a Christian. Our black and Hispanic brothers and sisters oftentimes feel that more viscerally than our white brothers and sisters. We just have to acknowledge that. They feel that exile more, and that's painful. And we have to acknowledge that and listen to their stories better. But this is going to be something that we're all going to experience if we're serious about following Christ completely, that we are in exile here but the number one thing about you is not your exile, it's not your pain, it's this truth that you are a chosen child of God. And unless you know who you are eternally, you will be overcome by fear. What words for all of us in this hour, unless we know who we are and where our inheritance is, and we greatly rejoice in that and we have that living hope, then we will be overcome by fear fear. He's reminding his son that the pain of exile is small compared to the inheritance of glory. I love the way C.S. Lewis put it many, many years ago. He talked about the weight of glory. And he said, if you were to put all of the human suffering on one side of a scale across all of time, that scale would hit the ground, wouldn't it? 
like just in this room, that hit, that's the scale would hit the ground. But then if you were to put the weight of glory, the weight of heaven on the other side of the scale, this scale would fly up into the air and the weight of glory would be far heavier. And that's where we have our living hope. It's in the weight of glory, the truth, the promise of heaven. And we wait for this great inheritance that far outweighs the pain of exile today. Now, look at verse 9, and I want to go give you your application for today, and then we'll wrap up here. All of that that I just did was observation, and in spite of how long I took on it, you could do that in 20 or 30 minutes out of this week in the next Bible passage. This next week, 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 25, I encourage you to do this one time, S-O-A-P, through 1 Peter 1, 13 to 25. And you'll go deeper into that passage. It will enrich your ability to receive next Sunday's message. Here's the application. Here's what I get out of this passage. For you are receiving, verse 9, you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is amazing. You see, God doesn't just save you for eternity. As great as that inheritance will be, he doesn't just save you for eternity. He doesn't just save you from your past sins. He saves you here and now. You are receiving the end result of your salvation, even right now. You're receiving it, the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls, even today. You see, as some parents seek to give their kids a deposit, a forward advance on their future inheritance, a little gift related to what's coming later on, God gives us a deposit on our future inheritance. And it's a taste of heaven that we can have right now. How are you receiving God's salvation today? And how does it result for you in great joy amidst many trials? Can I encourage you around the dinner table tonight to have that conversation? Maybe you call a friend and have that conversation with a friend. You brag on God together. This is how I am receiving salvation, a taste of heaven even now in the midst of all different kinds of trials. And you do that and it grows your faith and your trust and your great joy in God. I did that last week and as I was thinking about how I'm tasting a little bit of heaven right now, part of it was just going deep in this passage. It was so good. It was so rich. Like the fact that we have the very words of God given to us, they're like honey for the soul. They're so sweet to the lips to delve into them, to dive into them, to enjoy them. It was a taste of heaven. Last Tuesday night, as, as we just prayed for healing, we said, God, may your kingdom come here on earth as it's always done in heaven. May your kingdom come in Kearney. May your kingdom come in Lincoln and Omaha. And may your kingdom come in Minneapolis and across our nation. As it's always done in heaven, may your kingdom come between the races in America. May your kingdom come in my life. Would you wreck me even to the extent that I need to be wrecked so that I might be fixed by you. And many of us did that and, and there was healing. And that's a taste of heaven. When there's healing on an internal level and in relationships. And to be back in community with you, I gotta tell you, to be back, it's so good for my soul. And we're made for each other. And the unity that we have in this church, in spite of our diversity, in this sweet community, it is a taste of future glory. Amen. And it's ours. It's ours. So what is it for you? How are you experiencing a taste of heaven right now that you might greatly rejoice in whatever trials you might be going through? And then finally, the P is just prayer. And you take the passage that you just read, that you just studied, and you pray through it. 
You don't have to pray through the whole thing, but maybe a line or two sticks out to you, and you ask God to help you apply that passage. You pray through that passage and um, ask God to help you seal it because we're not just doing Bible study for information. We're doing Bible study for transformation. You with me? You with me? That's where we're going in this series in 1 Peter. I'm excited to do it with you as a community once again. Let's pray together through this passage and for our nation. Would you join me? Oh, Father, how great is your word. How great is your word. It's just amazing to me, Father, that you would choose to reveal your will to us, that you would love us enough to speak to us from your word. We don't deserve it, but you would give us your word, and it is choice morsels for the soul. Thank you, God, for these scriptures. Thank you, God, that you give us living hope in this inheritance that will never spoil or fade. Thank you, God, for our inheritance in heaven. Thank you, God, that we can greatly rejoice amidst all that we're going through today, amidst the ugliness that we see around us in our world, amidst unemployment, amidst pandemic that still is rearing its head in some places in our country. God, we can still greatly rejoice in you. And Father, we ask that you would heal our land. We ask that you would heal our land. God, you're able to do all things. Father, we pray for those, even in our own church family, who just feel a subtle racism regularly. We pray against it. We know you hate racism. And we ask, God, that you can convict us to whatever degree it's in us. Show us our biases, God. The truth is we all have biases. Every one of us does. Show us our biases. And don't let us live with them. Help us to hate them. And help us to pursue you. And Father, we, we do pray for your healing over our cities. We pray for protection for our protectors. Every one of them, we're grateful for them. We ask that you protect them. We pray, God, for your peace to reign. We pray that healing would begin. And we ask, God, that you would give us a taste of heaven this week. We want a taste of heaven this week. We thank you that we're not just waiting till we die to be saved. It's not just that we were saved back in middle school or high school. It's that we're being saved right now. We're becoming more like you. We're tasting a bit more of heaven. And we're asking for that in our community even now. May it be in Jesus' name. Amen.